What is up? Asymmetry. Oh, geez. Uh, with the ongoing quest for greater amounts of bonsai knowledge and having a, a little bit more time to keep track of some of the artistic work that is being presented by a tremendous number of bonsai practitioners, a few pieces have really stuck out to me that David DeGroote has been putting out into the different social media realms that we all have the pleasure to enjoy. And it reminded me of the pivotal influence that David DeGroote has had in, in terms of his contributions to not only the North American bonsai community, but I also think bridging a lot of gaps between Penjing and the, the Chinese culture of, of styling stunted uh, dwarf trees, as well as the bridges he's created with Japan and the execution of the Pacific Rim collection that is now the Pacific Bonsai Museum. Um, coming back from Japan, David was huge, hugely supportive and instrumental in, in my formation and establishment as a, as a bonsai pr practitioner in the Pacific Northwest. And I just wanted and asked David to come down and catch up, see how he's doing, talk about his recent work, and, uh, and just dig into, I think, a really fantastic, analytic, artistic, beautiful mind in bonsai. Uh, sit back, enjoy. I thoroughly, thoroughly um, treasured getting to catch up with this gentleman. And, um, and as always, he had a lot of gems to share with us. Yeah, the the I think the continued quest with the old greenhouse being taken down now um, is to turn that into another pad, mainly focused around deciduous trees, and be able to fence it in because oh. we've never been able to keep the deer, deer out. Yeah, mm -hmm. and they are devastating to our deciduous. Oh, just devastating. They've never gone in our backyard, but they eat my wife's roses in front of the house. <laughs> I don't know. How do you keep them out? Uh, I don't know. There's deer. What's it? Some kind of urine scent or something that's supposed to keep. I don't know. And you we, use we that? We don't. Oh, you don't. We don't keep them out. I'm, you just you just yeah. roll the dice on well, them. You know, they don't. They don't trees? live. No, no. Well, we've got a. It's totally fenced in. Oh, it's okay. a six foot fence around okay. the backyard. All right. It's just the front and side yards where they get at the roses. But yeah. The um. There the right behind our little development. We're about four houses in an acre, and right behind us is uh, acre plus lots, and so there's a fair amount of woodland in that in that area. And then they cross the street to where there's the the main street near our house, where there's another patch of woods, and it mm. seems like they go back and forth or something. That, so that's the route, huh? Catch us, yeah. I mean, every now and then you'll see them walking down the street. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and yeah. when they pass by, they decide to have a snack. Yeah, right. Just nip the roses. Luckily, not with my trees at all. I haven't. The things that are getting me, I'm afraid, are, uh, and they don't hurt the trees, but they scatter the soil and and uh, and get at the fertilizer. Is the I think it's rats more than squirrels. Oh but, yeah, yeah. <sighs> the Pacific Northwest <laughs> is full of surprises. Uh, <laughs> I, I so. I mean, you walk through the garden. Junipers have gotten, th have been throttled this year by the it's prolonged rain. Yeah. Do you, do you have cavatina also, like in the winter time? Do you get it ever get hit in the winter? Um, no. Yeah, no, I've never I, I, had it. I always, you know, you see it in the books, right? You know, but I've never. Uh, it, it seems like by the end of September, 
Homopsis is done for me. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then it's, everything looks fine and I think, ah, oh, got it. Yeah, right. Things are good. In the end of April, bam. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh I was in Montreal last year talking to David Easterbrook and oh. and he was showing me Cabatina that had actually been physiologically identified as Cabatina. And that Ooh. was the first time because I've sent all you know samples to the Oregon State University uh-huh. uh, pathology lab and and really tried to work closely with them so that I knew mm. what I was dealing with here mm-hmm. over the course of the years. And Melody, the head pathologist there, has said, you know, there's a lot of misinformation about Cabatina. It's tough to identify. I don't know if we've actually seen it here before. But David Easterbrook said in in Montreal that Cabatina is absolutely identified as something they deal with. So we don't need that. I don't want it. I definitely <laughs> don't want it. And I have no idea how how you do or don't avoid it. I just don't. We don't need another thing. Yeah, you know. Right. <laughs> uh, but well, we're we're mercifully um, at least I'm mercifully free of of insect problems for the most part. So yeah. that's that's great yeah i don't have to deal with that yeah but you made a statement to me that i thought was interesting you said you're down to your last juniper just because of the challenges of juniper yeah i've got two uh rocky mountains and and i've got one shimpaku right and then i've got a couple um uh san jose's and oh wait, I've got yeah, I've got a couple more oh, actually, okay. but right. but so. they don't they don't seem to be hit. I've got a blouse, uh-huh. uh huh, that doesn't seem to be affected. Uh huh. San Jose's are not affected, but the RMJ and the Chimpaku. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I I get it. I would consider, and I don't know, you've lived here a lot longer than me. Is this spring an anomaly in your mind, or is this? Because it's been an anomaly here, at least for the 10 years of my experience. 2010, it rained until July. And now 2020, it's going to rain until July. I mean, we're going to get, we're supposed to get rain tomorrow. You know, um, no, that's not, to me, that's the norm. Uh huh. The, the not norm is to have a nice, warm, sunny spring. Ah. In my experience, I've lived here 33 years, I guess. And in my experience, we would hit our first 70-degree day in April. Uh, and then we'd have a few nice days in May. And then we'd have January, what they call <laughs> January. And matter of fact, it's just a little sidelight. But, okay, so my first year, I started working at the museum um, in um, August of 89, I guess. And I knew what the winter was. I had been forewarned what, what the winter was like. But I had come from New Orleans, you know. Yeah where you're turning on your AC 24 hours a day by the middle of April, right? <sighs> and and so I came up, and so January was, was cold and wet. February was cold and wet. March was cold and wet. And I started to think, hmm, spring should be coming pretty soon. <laughs> Sometime. A- April was cold and wet. May was cold and wet. And on June 1st, the high temperature was 50 degrees and a rain and and so anyway i went over to corporate headquarters for lunch and i ran into a guy i knew over there from the tech center and and uh and i was thinking you know how can you have a picnic it's raining in 50 degrees. how can you go swimming you can't go swimming you can't have a picnic you can't play ball and i and i said to him i said what do you guys do in the summertime around here 
And he said, well, if it comes on a Sunday, we have a picnic. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, okay, that's what you get, right? Right. You know. Welcome. So, Welcome to the Pacific yeah. Northwest. <laughs> but, you know, the la- the previous few years um, have been unusually warm and dry in my experience. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So you're yeah. literally looking at the past few years and going, well, this is new. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> Holy cow. I <clears throat> I remember the first 2010 when I came back from Japan and I was sleeping on Randy's couch <laughs> trying to get my feet underneath me and just figure things out. And it kept raining and it kept raining and it kept raining and it kept raining. And I was just like, what, what did I just get myself into? Yeah. And I'm seeing Fomopsis, which I had seen in Japan, but I didn't know what, what it was called in Japan. Oh, uh-huh. uh, as with so many things in Japan. Right. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm treating and trying to figure it out. And Randy's saying, oh, they usually recover from it at some point. You know, he's he, at that point, he was very uh, cavalier about everything. He's uh-huh. he's become a lot more dialed in and, and 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 I would say very proficient over the course of the years. But but 10 years ago, he was he was just kind of like a, a loose cannon of a collector still working out all the nuances, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I, that just felt unacceptable to me. Like let this disease run its course and hope they survive and stuff, you know? Um, and, and for me here, cause we're, do you get the influence of the, of the Puget Sound in, in, Puyo- in Pu- the- Puyallup? Puyallup. Puyallup. Wait, what am I saying that for? <laughs> Pew Allop, like pew hold allop. your nose and go pew Allop. Pew, pew allop. That's how it's pronounced. Yeah, because it's not I, how it's spelled. Because I said it first and screwed you up. Um, anyway, uh, well, see, we, we're a little bit different um, because we're in between mountain ranges. So we get some influence. We're, we're still, we're only at 450 feet. We're not, and we're, mm. we're with, at the top of the hill near our house. You're, you're within sight of the water. Uh-huh. You can see uh, Tacoma waterfront, but um, as you get further away, you get less and less. We get a little bit, but one one of one of the things that's a, a characteristic of our area is we're south of the Olympics, and we're north of the Coast Range. Mm-hmm. So whatever blows in off the Pacific blows directly into us. So uh-huh. in that sense, I guess we're probably a little wetter and a little cooler than you are because we get more of the maritime influence than, than, than you get here, yep. for instance, yep. on the, on the East side of the coast range. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. A little... Interesting. <laughs> so we, so we have historic, I mean, we are historically warmer than you guys. And I would mm-hmm. say we are historically drier than you guys. You have a month longer growing season. Ultimately, yeah. that's what it works out to. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And we probably hit higher temperatures, which I've found, Last summer, we broke 90 degrees twice at yeah. 92 and we hit 91. And that's just not warm enough for the Western native species, Rockies, Ponderosas, Limbers, et cetera. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we left our house uh, at 80 and it wasn't going to get any warmer. And we were, drove into 88 here. Mm-hmm. So that was the difference between our house and here. Gotcha. So, yeah, the junipers really love heat. I, I find the thing that slows me down, the thing that makes me crazy, actually, uh, are the two are black pines. Mm. Because we're kind of right on the northern edge of their range. Yep. And it's so much 
for as far as uh, the, the needle growth for the second flush. So much depends on whether we get mild nights or cool nights. Oh, wow. And I mean, there, there, it used to be uh, in the recent years, it's been warmer, but it used to be that the norm for the overnight low right through July was like 52, 53 degrees, wow. you know, and they're right on the verge of accumulating chilling hours <laughs> in the middle of summer. And, um, uh, it's been a little steadier in recent years, but it used to be like, well, why don't I try doing this a little earlier to see if, and then if you do it too early, the new candle comes out exactly like the first flush. Right. You know, and if you if you miscalculate and get a little late, they come out being never maturing. You, you, yeah, yeah, like you get half, half inch, inch ne- long needles. Half inch needles, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's a guessing game every year to figure out. You know, I've kind of settled on first week in June, but. Yeah, I lean on the first week in June for our multi-flush. Yeah, yeah. It still rolls a dice, you know. It's still, well, with us especially having no um, shelter from the maritime right. weather, that's especially, but anyway. Interesting. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. And <clears throat> I'm a, uh, as far as North American bonsai is concerned, I feel like people have uh, a very good idea of your work and the time that you've spent both prior to the Pacific Rim collection being formed with Weyerhaeuser and as well as the time that you were in New Orleans and working with Vaughn Banting and your bonsai career. and But one of the most interesting things, and I wrote this to you when I reached out to you, is just seeing your work now. In my mind, the trees that you're posting pictures of now are freaking mind-blowing. Well, thank you. That's... <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, the, the could be an overstatement, but, uh, I, uh, I have more time now. Obviously I can, I can, uh, concentrate a little bit, but I still have a, a really modest collection, uh, with, with, uh, uh, the, the, the investment in the trees I have is really very low. And, and this is a curse and a blessing in that I have a wife who has no interest in bonsai. Uh-huh. So the curse is that, you know, if I want to get something, there's going to be a conversation about it, you know. <laughs> the blessing is that I still have a retirement fund. <laughs> so, you know, that's 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 kind of where that goes. But we can both agree on paintings, and and so more of our art collection is hanging on our walls than sitting on benches in our right. backyard. So, like I say, um, it's always been modest. And when I retired from the museum, my objective was not to grow my collection in particular. My my objective was to try to make up, if I could, for 25 years of neglect. Because when I was working at, at the museum or the collection... I I um I really had no time. Right. I really put nothing into it, and uh, into my trees, and uh, so some of my restyling that I've done has been necessary, um, because I had branches that have grow overgrown and become out of scale with the trunk of the tree, or blessed wire scars, which I've kind of taken as my um. I'm ashamed to say this, but it's sort of my trademark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, you and me both. No shame. No shame. 
So anyway, uh, um, but it's really fun now for the trees that I have. Mm-hmm. And it's very small. It's like I've got between 80 and 90 trees, not a lot of trees, you know. Depends and, on who you um, ask, but okay. Um, uh, it, it's, it's really fun to kind of look at things again and, and see if I can. And, and I'm a fairly conservative, um, you know, in, in my book, I, I made a, 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 a pH chart. And I said, as far as where, where do people want to be? Yeah. You know, on one end of it is, is chaos, chaotic, you know, pH one. Right. And at, at the other end is so predictable, it's boring, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, and we all fit somewhere along, along that line. And I, I'd say I'm, I'm probably at about at least pH eight right. <laughs> or something. So right. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the conservative side and, uh. But, um, like for instance, when I, when I was, came here and I was just downstairs going through the trees, I was struck by, uh, the good use you're making of the inherent drama of the tree itself. Hmm. And I've also, um, gotten pretty tired over the years of, of seeing, um, the requisite dome of foliage on uh, on wild, wildly contorted deadwood. Yeah. Like, what just happened to the climate where, where this tree... Now, I admire it because you can say on one hand you're seeing the handiwork of nature, and on the other hand you can obviously see the talent and the, the, the ability mm-hmm. of the artist who can create, because we both know... That's no mean feat. Yeah, to, absolutely. You know that that's impressive, and I think in the Japanese culture, uh, you know, if we want to go back to that, um, there has always been the idea of like in a garden that somewhere the hand of man shows, mm-hmm. and uh, you know whether uh, um, whether it's the way that, whether using cut stones at some point instead of natural stones, right. um, uh, it's, it's, uh, looked down on fiercely by some, but in some cases there are in fact red lacquered bridges, <laughs> but, but that's a very strong statement saying we're here, mm-hmm. you know? And so that, 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 that interplay, uh, of having, uh, um, Realism on the in, in the in the deadwood, and then really abstraction in in what the artist does is a kind of a yin and yang uh, kind of thing. That's that's not unattractive. I mean, it really is unattractive. Yeah. But sometimes you can see that over and over and over. And what I've noticed down here in uh, in your collection is that you're moving away. From 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 that sort of requirement, and that you're saying you're, I could see over and over uh, instances where you're letting the tree sort of tell you a tree that's there, or it looks like to me you're letting the tree tell you what this should be, and what's a natural outgrowth of of this basic structure of the tree, and so forth. So I really. Um, I, I think that's a great idea. I admire that. And it, it, it gives trees individuality. 
and it gives the approach a different approach. I mean, everybody knows you can do that, mm. <laughs> but I, my sense is that you've sort of stepped past that and they're saying, well, I don't have to do that. When I look at um, a lot of, like when I look at bonsai focus, I, I see a lot of the European trees are almost what I'd call slavishly um, wedded to that concept yeah. of, of, of uh, you know, here's the, the basic tree and now here's our triangle. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and um, you, you know, it's, it's nice to see not being wedded to that. So that's, that's kind of, uh, and, and I have to say where, where I am still is I'm still trying to sort of break, break free. Although I, you know, in my case, I have a lot of my trees are really calm trees and, Mm -hmm. and don't have a lot of very, um, uh, abstract deadwood on them to say, but, but, um, it's not easy to not do that. Right. Because, you know, bonsai, uh, in my opinion, almost nobody creates bonsai to look like nature. Um, we all, it's like artists who, 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 are, who are learning, who learn by um, sketching famous paintings or or they sketch a bust of of someone you know that's a sculpture that's been already done and and we're still for the most part imitating other bonsai yeah we we're, we're we're creating bonsai and there's nothing wrong with that it's just that it shouldn't be only that and so Th- this idea of, of stepping out from that a little bit, I think is really, you know, another person who has done that, um, uh, who shocked me years ago and, and who I've come to respect more and more as time went on is Dan Robinson, for instance. Um, uh, and I, I don't like to use the word naturalistic because mm. the alternative to a tree being naturalistic is unnatural. But I, I like to use what other artists would use, which is uh, representational and abstract. Oh, so the nice. opposite of re- representational is abstract, right? Yeah. And so this represents uh, accurately maybe a tree in nature or what it would be in its environment, mm. uh, given how the bones of it look. Or this is an abstraction of the tree. And, and, and whereas natural and unnatural is kind of like good and bad, Right. Uh, you know, um, realism and abstraction are both good <laughs> They're in their own way. So that's kind of where I like to go with that. And, and, and I, not that I use the term naturalistic too, but I've been trying to get myself away from it because, um, just because of the implication that, uh, especially with what what some teachers said years and years ago, like the tree has to look naturalistic and it shouldn't show the artist's hand and 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 so on and so forth. And so, well, no, I mean, it's an artificially dwarfed tree in a pot. What are you talking about? I mean, where <laughs> you can't where escape this, it. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, <laughs> be realistic, right? <laughs> you know, absolutely. So I, you know, that that. Uh, but um, but I I love 
both. I mean, I, I admire, you know, you go to Kokuhu and, and you see the trees and, and they're gorgeous. Absolutely. And they're just masterpieces of technique yeah. and, and masterpieces of vision. Um, and there's, you know, I admire them and, and, and I want a tree like that too, <laughs> you know? Sure. It's like, I want to be able to do that. Absolutely. But... But I guess especially, and in, in in Bonsai Focus is a great magazine, nothing nothing about that, but when you've seen enough trees with lots and lots of dead wood and a perfectly quaffed um, mound of foliage on it somewhere, it's like, oh, okay, that again, you know. I yeah. I think I've seen that before. Right. A uh, uh, couple thousand so, times. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's so, uh, <laughs> God, you, 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 do you have something else? Well, that's one reason why I've started um, imitating uh, Penjing. Because yeah. I've been to China a few times now and, and gone to big shows and seeing a lot of private collections. And um, the basic approach is more varied. I mean, they allow themselves um, more freedom in terms of what they want what they want to imitate mm-hmm. and and uh whether it's the land and water penjing or the land penjing or the rock and water penjing that doesn't have or or you know whether it's a square turn style or weeping style or or you know i mean they're they're abstract in their own way you know they've talked to a chinese artist he'll claim that um, what he does is naturalistic and what the japanese do, do is very formalistic Oh. And then you talk to the Japanese artist and they will say, well, what the Chinese do is kind of naive. And I mean, we have much better uh, techniques and, 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 and neither one of them seems to respect the other. But um, I think that's changing because uh, I started, my first trip to China was 2010. Uh, my most recent trip to China was last fall. Hmm. And um, I've seen a great increase at the big shows of kind of what I'd call this international style now, where you look at the tree and you say, you know, it's really, if I saw that by itself, it would be really hard for me to say where that tree originated Mm. or who was the artist for that tree because it looks like trees that I would see from Japan or from the U.S. by a good artist or from, you know. You know, so... uh, I'm calling the I, I'm saying you know kind of international s- style. That's a bad word, style, but kind of international approach in that w- with our communications and everybody can see what everybody else is doing. I I see a sort of a movement, a, co- a kind of coalescing around this this love of a lot of dead wood, but very formalized arrangement of the foliage right and um again which is beautiful you know Mm -hmm. but um uh you know going back to naturalistic uh i i I think there's a difference between and and i'm talking i'm talking about my early days in bonsai with 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 when i first started going you know, when I first went to Japan as a pleasure trip, for right. instance, and, and which uh, was when ninety-seven. Okay, and um, where 
you make the tree look natural by a lot of contrivance. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know right, what right. I mean? By bending and, and, and pulling and trimming and, and, and carving and, and so on and so forth. And we, we, I was in uh, Vancouver, uh, BC, uh, visiting a, a, a Chinese um, bonsai or penjing artist there. I was, I was at his home. And uh, he was showing me his trees. And um, it, it was a crepe myrtle. And it, it was clear to me that at some point somebody had simply sawn the trunk off, right? Right? The straight across. Right. And I, and so I said to him, uh, are you going to, are you going to carve this at some point? You know, it's kind of like, are you going to, you know, and he said, well, no, that's natural. And, and I got an inkling that the, his concept of natural was that's the condition of the tree. Hmm. Whereas the other idea of natural was how can I somehow take this piece of material and make it look like my image of something that's that that's natural. Right. One achieved by manipulation and one by leaving it alone. And I and I think that the this, the treatment of the roots is very, very similar. Yeah. If you look at at the, the roots of many Penjing, uh, they look completely chaotic. Yeah. From from a Japanese perspective, yes. whereas whereas that Chinese gentleman would say, <laughs> it's the tree, and and so because of my conservative bent, I can sometimes look at like collected material and say, I don't think I'd keep that piece <laughs> because you know. Um, it's 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 conflicting a lot with the other part of the tree, but on the other hand, that's natural in terms of that's how that tree actually existed. That's how that tree was actually found. That's what nature had done to that tree. Yeah. So realism, um, you know, sort of sort of accepting that, and you know, it, it was a, a, a really. Um, I had this experience one time walking through Dan Robinson's place and, and um, we came upon a maple and it had a, a dead branch. And um, I can't remember what I said. I must have said something about are you going to cut that off or something. And because I, you know, at the, at the bonsai collection, it's like, I would have, I would have been terrified. I would have, you know, yeah. it's like, no, <laughs> that cannot be on display. That's going down to the growing area. Um, and he and he said, nah, you know, branches die. That's <laughs> how <laughs> so the tree is, you know. The utter and, commitment. Uh, the utter commitment. Well, you know, and I, I chalked it up to, okay, he can say that because these are all his trees. Sure. You know, it's like what <laughs> sure. I was dealing with, they were none of my trees, you know. So, uh, but it was an interesting kind of, you know, you, you can kind of follow that. That's an interesting train of thought. Mm-hmm. Very similar to the guy in Vancouver, BC. Mm-hmm. It's saying, you know, it's like, and and um, if anything is going to, and I'll I'll come, I'll say this that I've read a lot of stuff about um, an American style of bonsai. Yeah, and I think it's it's not constructive to try to force it. Yeah. 
to try to say, okay, I'm going to go out and create America. No, you know, what will happen is if there is an American style as an approach that a lot of people use, um, it's going to come, it's going to evolve mm. without anybody thinking about it or trying to do it or something, but somebody coming, you know, the way Vaughn Banting did the the flat top. Yeah. Bald Cypress. It's like that's now an accepted everywhere, and I and I thought that we had the corner on that market. And then a number of years ago, I went to Johannesburg, <laughs> and they were doing oh, flat tops. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like in the spirit of the acacia, not yeah, of the bald right, cypress, right? Right. right. So it's or, like or South the Africa. acacia or the uh, uh, boab, yeah, Bo- baobab. Uh huh. You know. And, um, yeah, not bald cypress. Yeah. And by the way, uh, your pond cypress out here are fabulous. <sighs> Boy, those are my favorite From, trees. I, I've really grown to passionate. I, my big shift, my big shift in my mentality around bonsai happened in 2012 because I went to the national show. Mitsuya was judging it. Hmm. Uh, there was a flat top bald cypress and, and he really chastised it for not being the correct form of a formal upright. Oh yeah. He's very conservative, very conservative, very traditional. And I just looked at that and I thought, man, if you haven't gone to see a bald cypress, then, then this makes absolutely no sense to you. Right. And, uh, and I just recognized like, oh, okay, this is the difference, you know, and, and where I learned bonsai, even though Mr. Kimura was such an innovator, I also studied with Mr. Kimura when he was in, I would, I would say significantly deeper in his career than when he was really doing, he was still doing innovative work and dramatic uh-huh. work and stuff, but he was not in the prime of his exploration or oh, avant-garde okay. work. At pre, that, it at, was pre that. It was post that. Oh, post that. It was that. post okay. that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, um, when Arushabata-san was there for the 18 months that I started my apprenticeship, Arushabata was the tail end of that avant-garde phase of Mr. Mm. Kamara's career. And and when he left, overnight, Mr. Kamara changed. Like, he came out the next day, and I was halfway through wiring a white pine, and he said, why are you wiring all the branches? I mean, it was literally like, uh, and I had to reform on, on, literally <clears throat> overnight. And I'm, not, and I'm not exaggerating. It was that dramatic that he had clearly been thinking about a change. He carried through the educational style with that last apprentice that he felt obligatory consistency to maintain that with. Uh-huh. And when he was gone, he, he had another idea in mind of what bonsai oh, would be, my goodness. Okay. which was, which was incredible to experience because I got 18 months of this f- format of extremism. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden he softened and we were supposed to use 60% less wire and be more natural about our approach to the tree. Okay. Which was brilliant because then you recognize, oh, okay, there's all of these different approaches. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so I, I very much was uh, institutionalized to the Japanese approach, even though I had been collecting Ponderosa and Rocky Mountain Juniper in my high school and collegiate days. And I knew I wanted to do something more representative uh-huh. of our native flora and landscape. But I didn't know what that looked like. And I needed the technique. I went to Mr. Kimura to learn the technique. Obviously, the aesthetic comes with the technique in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, but then coming back, it was like the, the, the quest for identity and understanding. And I think in the beginning, in 2011, I wired uh, the big twisty Rocky Mountain Juniper right there on the monkey pole for the first time in the workshop. Oh, okay. I finished it. 
went to bed that night, got on a plane, flew to the Nolanders Trophy in Europe the next morning, styled two Mugo uh, a Mugo Pine and a Phoenician Juniper on stage, and flew from Europe to Japan to help Mr. Kimura prepare for the Kokufu. So it was like this back-to-back-to-back American species in this environment, European species in that environment, Japanese species in those environments, and I recognize, oh man, the, 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 these are three different experiences that I can have with bonsai. And they were so close together that it was undeniable how the environment, the culture, the language and expectations influenced and changed the work that I did mm-hmm. in those three places. And I was just like, wow, this, this goes so much deeper than I ever had anticipated. Yeah, yeah right? one side of it. And, <clears throat> and I think trying to... Because my experiences in Japan were not pleasant, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you've spent time hard in work. Japan. The hard work didn't bother me. It, 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 well, what was hardest for me was never having anything explained up front. Sure, sure. It, only being told what was wrong after the fact. <laughs> right. <You're> like, <laughs> we could have it's circumvented like... <laughs> this whole thing. Yeah, yes. That was challenging. Uh the whole thing was challenging in my <laughs> mind. The, just, just the uh, indentured servitude of the apprentice yeah. model, which I didn't, I, I didn't get what you did, what most people get, because um, I would only go for a month at a time, mm-hmm. and because of my age and the fact that I had a position, I was freed of, of doing any. Any work other than on trees. Yeah. So I didn't have to make tea for the the customers. I didn't have to clean the thing. I didn't have to walk the dogs. Yeah. Um. So I had it easy, too easy. Yeah. I should have had to work harder, but. Uh, but but you were at a you were you were in a significant position and sort of stature as a well, bonsai yeah. practitioner at that point. You know. Yeah. It, it it and 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 I I think he liked that. Hmm. But then didn't like the fact that I wasn't where he thought I ought to be, <laughs> you know. So yeah. you know, so it, there were there were hard things. The other thing though is 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 living with a, a family in a family. I I lived in their house. Yeah. And um, being told when to take my shower, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, getting hollered at one time because uh, I was kind of friendly with a neighbor of theirs, and and when I arrived, um. Speaking first to the the neighbor before I, oh wow, you know that I didn't realize that that was rude, you know. And, sure. And so there were a lot of cultural things that that I found out, uh, sort of after the fact that mm. that were, you know, not not how I would prefer it. I would have preferred to live in a separate residence, mm-hmm. for instance. But um, but it was also very nice. They were also very kind, and they were very good to me. You know, and I had my own room and my own bathroom and I had the only easy chair in the house, my own TV. And, you know, so, I mean, they did so much to make me comfortable, but there's that inevitable flash, uh, clash of, of, of cultures that happens. Yeah. 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 And it's a, it's almost like we're on, you know, the three dimensional model, different planes. It's not, (laughs) it's not even, we're going different directions. It's like, well, we're not even really. We're not even the, the the solar systems that we're referring to are different. Like <laughs> the the, the inability when somebody looks at were you friends with Mr. Mitsuya? You know, that's like mm. was I friends with Mr. Kimura? Like when you were done, were you guys friends? And it's like, no, no, that's yeah. not really that doesn't work that way. It's right. not 
you're you're thinking He's about a, a Western relationship, right? 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 You know, we're talking about an Eastern relationship here, and I found I found Japan to be challenging enough. You know, and I know there are other apprentices that have studied at other facilities where they do have a lot more freedom to have fun. It's a little bit looser. Mm. You know, you make videos and and you can have your social media presence and and mm. sort of all of that stuff as wow. the modern apprenticeship model. Well, that that wasn't going to happen at no. Mr. Kimura's when I was there. It was it was very uh, militaristic, and you had to know your place as an apprentice. So coming back and just kind of in conversation about the seek searching an American style, you know, and I think like the dialogue around the Artisans Cup when we did it is like, let's make an American style. <laughs> it was. And now, you know, five years separated from that, I, I totally agree with you. That you can't force you that can't to force happen. Yeah, you can't yeah. you can't go seeking it. You can't you can't uh, artificially create it. It's it's going to organically happen. And then Well, it's I, I think it's happening out here. Personally, I, and, and I, I think that um, as those, uh, you know, the other thing is, is that we're, we're always trying to compare one thing and another and, and uh, to another to find which one is better, which one is better. And, and one of the things that as I've sort of studied aesthetics and so on is, is you can have valid differences of opinion without one being better than an example is uh, uh, when I was with Mr. Matsuya, there was uh, every year his, his group from his teacher and all the teachers, the teachers, students, former students and, and family. It was called the the Daishuen family. family, Yeah. And they would put on a show at the community center and, um, so I, I I never did learn Japanese because every every place I went because uh, I went to three different places for three different things um, there was somebody who could speak English. So hmm. what do you mean three different places? I didn't know this. Well, I I I, I did a just smaller things, but I did a week long intensive with Mr. Sudo on on formal display. Oh, and then I didn't I, know this. I spent a week. Um, or two, I can't remember exactly, um, at, uh, Mr. Nakayama's place with Azaleas. Right. And, and, um, uh, so anyway, those are, those are. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, as, and, and, uh, the. I lost my train of thought. The, <laughs> the Daijuan family. Yeah, the Daijuan family made this. Uh, uh, um, they had this exhibit, and I couldn't speak Japanese. That's where this was going. Right. <laughs> and and so what I would do is is when I had qu- questions, the, the two things. First of all, we could communicate um, on a basic level because of bonsai terminology being Japanese. Right. It's the same way when I was in an orchestra. A conductor could come from anywhere in the world, and and we could we could communicate on a basic level because the language of music is Italian, mm-hmm. and so everybody understood the Italian terms. So you could basic level bonsai, basic level, right? right? That's that's a, but I I if to go further than that, I uh, on Saturday mornings his his younger son who spoke English fluently and gone to college in the U.S. would sit down for question and answer session. 
Oh, so, wow. Okay. <clears throat> and that's how I would write down all my, my things during the week. And then on Saturday mornings, we'd have this big uh, session. So anyway, but getting back to this other thing. So I couldn't communicate with them well. Mm. So we'd go through the exhibit, and I would take a sketch pad. And what I would do is sketch the tree the way I saw it or the way I saw it as different from what it was. Mm. And then he would look at it and he would say, um, approve of what I had done or say, no, not yet. And so then on Saturday morning, we'd go back with Koji and, and say, okay, why was this not, why? And, and what it ended up being is, is really an opinion. So I, I found that for instance, um, uh, on one tree, let's say I, I disapproved of the fact that it had a slight reverse taper mm. and I wanted to see it from another angle. But for him, his priority was in the position of the first branch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really hard to say, you know, because both you have two people and each person has a valid reason for their opinion. So it's really, really hard to say this is a right or wrong issue. This is simply people who have slightly different priorities. Right. You know, and, and I've, I've made this comment a number of times, but <clears throat> I've gone over the years, I've, I've, I've uh, critiqued, you know, a, a lot of exhibit club shows, club shows. Sure. And, and more than once I've looked at a tree and wondered who had done the tree because in my mind I was saying, if this is a newbie, this is a mistake. Mm-hmm. But if this person knows what they're doing, this is brilliant. Yeah, you know yeah. that this, <laughs> yes. this was this was a purposeful um, uh, 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 changing of of what one would expect or mm-hmm. whatever, and and it all would have to be to do with. Is this person informed? Yeah. And was it intentional? Was it intentional? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, um, and honestly, my my awareness of of Dan Robinson's real greatness as an artist came from conversations with you uh, in, in in duality with conversations with Ted Madsen. Oh, who has also been a huge mentor to me in expanding my awareness of bone size. He's a great the, guy. Yeah, yeah, amazing guy. I spent a lot of time with him in college, and 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 I mean, you, you went to college together? Uh, no, but uh, I went to college oh, you, you went to in California. Him. Okay, yeah, okay. and I was in Ted's study group down in L.A. Oh, so I would camp out in the back of my truck in front of his house, and then you know smell like a million bucks and go to his study group. Uh, <laughs> but that was the only way I could afford it. it and then eventually, we developed a really close relationship. Yeah. Um, and then I think coming back from Japan, you know, you extended extended uh, a handshake very early on and asked me to come up and do some work oh, yeah. a- up at the collection. And, and I mean, these were getting to talk to you as we were working and having the opportunity to work on some of those famous trees and stuff was, it was a huge boat of confidence, but also just understanding the extent to with which you had and do view bonsai as an art, pursued it as an art, the things that you had done before anybody else had tried to organize exhibitions of those kinds and types in nature and then recognizing your background coming from a symphony a, a symphony and, and a musical background into bonsai i was just like wow there's a lot 
to learn here. And you had a lot of respect for Dan. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, you you can see his trees from across the room because they, they all have a sense of drama. Mm-hmm. They, they call attention to themselves. I mm-hmm. mean, you can't miss them, you yep. know. And, and uh, um, so... Wild is unmistakable. Yeah. Wild is unmistakable. Yeah. And I, I think uh, just coming full circle to where I'm at here, I always wanted, I, I think over the course of time, moving away from the repetition of the form that I experienced in Japan, which if you see it so many times, mm-hmm. and then when you do it so many times, at some point you start to think, well, what else can I do? Yeah. You know, like this is this is losing its it's losing its creativity, it's losing its identity, it's losing its interest. Yeah. What else can I do? Because we're not driven by the shokunin mentality in the United States. It's a, this is culturally not something we're aware of, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh and so the repetition of a pattern to seek perfection is not what drives us in the United States, I don't think. Not well. I think we all want to be as good as we can be, uh, uh, but I I think that if you define perfection, it's hard to. Uh, whose whose definition of perfection are you hewing to? Uh, uh, you know, uh, my my impression of, of 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 the Japanese bonsai is that you're hewing to someone else's definition of perfection. I think there's a cultural ideal of perfection or mastery. And I think Mm -hmm. that they are all, I think that traditionally and historically the craft of Japanese art forms has been, and Mike Hagedorn, I think said it best when he was up here and we had a discussion on the podcast, he said, I think they're all working off of a similar or the same artistic statement. And that for me was like, whoa, that is interesting because there are small nuanced differences. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, when you walk through the kokufu, there is a consistency of thought that exists inside of the kokufu that yeah. would seem to think they were abiding by the same concept. There's an aesthetic. Yeah, there's there's a, a common aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have to say that. Yeah. A common aesthetic. But the mastery of technique, the craftsmanship, all of this, this, this is the shokunin mentality in my mind. So to say... We all aspire to do the very best that we can do. Well, doing any less than that in Japan is unacceptable. Right. And that's the difference between the American or, 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 or a Western mentality of, I'm going to do my best to them saying, what else is there to do but <laughs> y- your best plus some. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that, that mentality is different. And so then seeing Dan, and I, and I think to some degree – you know Walter Paul over the course of his career Walter is different has yeah. really has really pushed that authenticity of a different approach and a lack of necessity to follow the herd and when mm-hmm. i was in college that was hugely influential to me mm-hmm. and then coming back and dan being a pacific northwest practitioner that you know you and ted matson respected and talked about that innovation of that approach whereas coming from japan you might look at it and say well there's some dead branches and everything's not wired. This is not bonsai, but it's like, well, we, we're not all on the same highway. <laughs> the destination for everybody is not the same. And then going to South Africa and seeing everything mm-hmm. in the flat top form and then going to Australia and recognizing, well, Australian bonsai is never going to be Japanese. It's never going to be anything close to Europe or the United States. They are on their own mm-hmm. trajectory altogether. 
neither none is better than the other but the the beauty of the color and differentiation of approach being influenced by all of those things and starting to think what is it that motivated me to get into bonsai is still the rocky mountain environment that i grew up in mm -hmm. and the randomness of nature that i do feel like i want to carry a proportion i want to carry a scale and a sense of organization in my trees that mm -hmm. allows people to interpret that reduction right right but I don't want to lose the wildness. I don't want to lose that uniqueness and I don't want my trees to fit inside a box. And that's really sort of what I've tried, what I'm still working around right now in the garden. Well, you know, there, there's, there's, uh, it's carried through by, by having a theme. I mean, the tree has a, a theme, just like a, a display has a theme. And uh, when you see that carried through in the bonsai, I mean, we're set up to 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 recognize patterns. I mean, we organize things according mm -hmm. to repetition by by being able to recognize patterns in something, right? Mm -hmm. And so, even even in every tree, you know, I can see I can see that there's there is something that gets that tells you that this is all of a piece mm. that that tells you that this, this, these, these parts belong together. Yeah. Consistency yeah. of that thing. Yeah. yeah. Without, mm -hmm. without being formulaic. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's, that's really important. Mm. And, and, and that's uh, something that gives the trees more uniqueness than having a whole row of trees that, you know, and I hate to say it, but I look at the front row of my, my benches where my smaller trees are, and they're mostly broadleaf trees, and I see a bunch of little mounds. <laughs> and I thought, no, okay, I got to start doing something different here, you know. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, yeah, it's, it's uh, one, of the, one of the things that, that um, I, I, I get great pleasure from is I like to analyze things. I mean, to me, that leads to understanding. It's like, if I'm going to understand this, I have to be able to see something in it. I have to be able to see where there are consistencies, where there are differences, the contrasts, and, and, and how are those, how do they play off against each other? And um, um, it's very similar to abstract art. A painting, a sculpture, whatever, uh, I get really frustrated if I can't somewhere define some kind of pattern that tells me it has depth mm. or that tells me it's leading my eye in a certain direction mm -hmm. or, or, or that tells me that maybe it's just color fields but tells me that those color fields have some relationship and play against each other. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's the same way with bonsai. When I look at the bonsai, I try to see um, uh, how does this work together. You know, how does it? How does it become one one piece? Is that a? So is that more speaking to just the intentionality that somebody is attempting to maintain that consistency or that intentionality of execution as much as anything? I think it's a difference between between art and accident. Oh, okay. You know, okay. Um, 
kind of talked about that earlier. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> it makes sense. Doing it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I think it 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 talks to that. Uh, you know, in even like really simple things, it's it's um, if you've got this very complex piece, you put it in a container that has a, a lot of texture and a lot of uh, different shapes and 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 so on. That kind of mirrors what the tree does. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, do you put it in something that's very severe? And plane that kind of can kind of uh, make that complexity of the tree pop mm-hmm. because it, it presents a contrast. Yeah. In color, you know. Um, Whole new world. The, the, the blue atlas cedar, for instance, that you worked on at, at the collection, it originally showed up in a, in a, in a bluish, grayish green pot mm-hmm. that looked just like the foliage, you know. And in a way, you could say, wow, that's really tying it together. And in another way, you can say, ah, that's really monochromatic. Right. You know, so I chose to put it in, you know, a, a, a sort of a reddish-brown pot because right. I, I wanted I to see contrast. But that there's another example of, well, that's not a case of one being right and one being wrong. That's a, that's a case of what does that particular person want to accomplish. Yeah. And... Um, so, the, you know, in that's another thing, like where there's, I was really interested not only in the trees out here, but in the incredible uh, variety of containers that they're in mm. and, and how uh, you've chosen a container to highlight whatever the tree is, whether something needs to be repeated. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or so it almost looks like they're all one of a piece. I, I'm thinking of, of, uh, that whole group of, um, redwoods that are on that gigantic stump out there. Right. For instance, you know, like <laughs> right. this, this is all a piece. Right. And you have another planting on, uh, where you used a, 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 a part of a stump as a landform, like a hillside, like Mr. Kimura used the flat stone. Sure. And, um, which I love by the way. Mm. I love that whole concept of what I call a vertical forest. Mm-hmm. You know, that's very cool. And I tried to do a little bit of that. And, and, um, and in China they do there, there's like a whole style. They call it rainforest style, which doesn't make any sense to me, but it's the idea that they take a living stump and then allow it to sprout Oh, you did this with a redwood recently yeah, that you've been posting. Well, the yeah. redwood, and I did that previously faking it by using a, 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 a driftwood and then actually carving it out and drilling out holes in the redwood and planting mm. um, spruce trees in it. And um, it, Yeah, and it, it's that, that whole idea of just, just you know, saying... It's not an original idea, mm-hmm. but it's a cool idea that not many people have used. And so let me, again, it's like going with your artist sketch pad yeah. and saying, um, I want to see if I can sketch the Mona Lisa now. Yeah. yeah. Let's see if we can find it. And, and, and I think that's wonderful because it's, it's learning. And, and then that gives you a chance that maybe the next time you do it, you will find something of your own that you're going to put in there that makes it unique or makes it different. Agreed. From what came before, you know, so. Agreed. Agreed. And I also Lots think like fun. the, uh, as 
art, speaking, you can use any example. You could use art as an example. Art, I think architecture probably fits the bill a little bit more of saying like uh, recent criticisms around architecture, current and modern architecture is everybody's trying to do something so unique and different that there isn't a, like say you had the art deco, say you had the mid-century modern uh, style of architecture that was almost beat to death during those eras, right? And you could talk about it with Renaissance painting or the, you know, abstract or realist or whatever, uh-huh. uh, and how it's just just bludgeoned to death. But but really exploring all of the boundaries of this interior box that creates this mentality around this approach and criticism around modern architecture right now is everybody's trying to do something so different. Nobody is actually refining and perfecting the concept around mm-hmm. an arch- architectural concept. But when you look at bonsai, because we didn't have a window into Chinese pinging when it was, and even still, I don't think there's a lot of exposure compared to the quantity that is out there. Right, right. And the world of Japanese bonsai was very closed for a very long time. It's only recently that it opened up and that there's more awareness of it with foreign apprentices having more time. I'm starting to think there are more foreign apprentices than domestic apprentices. I agree. It's I agree. amazing. Yeah. But, but really, a lot of the innovative ideas that the passing down and execution of those traditions and pinging and bonsai, what those ideas bred uh, never have been fully worked out or that idea been stuck on to have m- multiple people offer interpretations of it and recognize its boundaries or fill in the vast space that exists inside of that conceptual box of mm. that idea. Mm. And so there's still, it's just like looking at bonsai techniques from John Naka or taking Von Banting's interpretation of the flat top bald cypress as a natural reflection and saying, well, what are all of the elements that can act on the flat top form and how far can you go with each of those potential avenues that the flat top can be applied to in this plethora of forms that a ponder bald cypress takes on and elements that act on it. It's like, it's too vast to make one flat top bald cypress and keep going and say, I understand it now. It's like, no, you understand a blip of possibility. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that. I, I I like, I get a lot of satisfaction at Mirai. There's too many trees here. I understand that. But I have to have that because I want to see 200 iterations of a Rocky Mountain juniper. Mm-hmm. And I want to see 30 iterations of a bald cypress. You know, I just, that's really what turns my crank. That's what makes mm-hmm. me interested in bonsai is what can you do? What can we do? Right, 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 right. What are the What are the at least current limits? Yeah. And that's where... That's why, that's honestly why I reached out to you. I mean, ultimately I miss talking to you to be quite frank, but more than anything, you're, I'll never forget being in Seattle at the PNBCA convention and we were sitting there having a beer at night and you look through the bottom of the beer, the beer glass and you said, that is a, that is an unacceptable perspective to have (laughs) because you're out of beer. And I just thought, God, that's so freaking hilarious. But looking at your uh, the redwood that you put that you've been posting recently and uh, seeing the progression of your hinoki that has the very angular branching and stuff, I was like, I gotta get Dave up here, man. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta get Dave. Well, up here. you know, I'm I'm uh, one of the things uh, talking about bald cypress, for instance. Um, I have just a few 
Uh, but I have I have two that I collected out of a beaver pond in in Mississippi. But one of them is 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 quite tall. It's more than a meter. Uh, it's more like almost four feet, I think. Anyway, um, and, and it's a hollow trunk, and it had gotten. I'd let it go, you know, when I wasn't paying any attention to things, and it it it, it grew very tall. And one day I looked at it and I I said. Uh, uh, it's it, it's the trunk, which is substantial. I mean, you know, it's not, you know, it's substantial, eight inches or whatever at the mm. bottom. And um, it's diminishing the trunk by its height. You know? mm. So I, I have to bring the height down. So um, I brought the height down, and I still felt it, it wasn't right because it had very little taper at that point. It had grown too fast, too much. And I had styled it originally in the um, New Orleans not flat top bald cypress style, which is to say that's not how bald cypresses grow at all. So in other words, growing them like Christmas trees, um, I call it redwood style. <laughs> right. Um, but only juvenile bald cypress grow like that, have right. excurrent branching and have a triangular outline. It's like no mature bald cypress, nothing with a, a large trunk or a flared base, nothing. Yeah, you'll never find, you can go through the, you know, miles and miles of swamp and you'll never find a mature bald cypress that looks like a redwood. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm talking about giant redwoods, not sure. the coast, you know, the kind that really do the triangle. Yeah. Um, so it's just a complete artificial um, uh, interpretation of, of what a bald cypress is. And people do it because they can, and it looks cool. It does look cool. Sure. You know, they're great. They're impressive. And I had done that to this thing, and and uh, I finally looked at it, and I said, this, this doesn't work. It has no taper, and it's not working, and the trunk is all completely hollow up the front, and and so I'm going to make a bald cypress. So I did the usual thing and cut the trunk off and, and, and had a gin top. Right. And then I built a flat top and I cut the lower branches off. Mm -hmm. And I looked at that thing and I thought, um, you know, maybe I'll post it at some point. But I looked at it and I thought, I've got two competing elements here. I've created a flat top for this tree, but I have a, a gin spire. And they're intermingled. And I thought, that's... You know, it it, it usually, um, for the sake of order or whatever, here's my conservative thing coming yeah, right. up. <laughs> um, you know, I always like to see dominant subordinate. Uh -huh. I've got to see dominant subordinate. So I thought, I've got two co-dominant elements here because my gene spire is demanding attention, uh -huh. but it's not above the flat top, and the flat top is demanding attention, but it's not above the, you know, so I finally uh, took the the gin out, and uh, I just reduced it and reduced it and pulled it out, and so now it's just a flat top. Huh. <laughs> but it, it was it was um, it was one of those things of of there are I'm sure bald cypress out there that have you know a lot of bald cypress you know the hurricanes come through. And this isn't why they have flat tops, but I mean, this this is why there are a lot of uh, bald cypress with broken tops, I'm convinced, uh, because the hurricanes come through and you never see them blown down. Mm. So they're growing in soft mud, but all of those roots of all of those trees have completely uh, interwoven 
and oh, and, interesting. and it's like you know one giant root system. Right. Right, right, and, right. And um, so what happens is, like, we see Doug Furs blowing down left and right sure. when yeah. we have a windstorm. You never see a bald cypress lying down. Huh. But you see the tops blowing out. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that's like a characteristic. Well, we can use that characteristic uh, if we're thinking about that when we design when we design a bonsai. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's why I made this thing with the top blowing out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. <laughs> flat top after it. Why do they form a flat top? Do you know? I do not. But if you go, this is an interesting thing. If you go south of I-10, mm. you know, I, the east-west yep. right through, if you go south of I-10, um, the pines form flat tops. In other words, that's not unique to bald cypress or pond cypress. There's other trees... Not the loblolly pine so much as the um, long needle pine. Not the long needle pine. There's another one there that the name of it has um, spruce pine. No, that's a that's a shorter needle. Is it a shorter needle? Yeah, there's another. Well, it doesn't matter. But the point is, when you get down, oh, the sand pine. No, then that's a short needle too. When when you get down on the on the ah, let me throw driving, you every name dri- of pines. Yeah, 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 it's driving me crazy. <laughs> Somebody said recently that it was another tree that you could do a double flush with. Oh, I think Southern a lot of those. I, th- I think a lot of those pines are there now. But it, it, if you go down like along the beaches mm-hmm. or something like that, you'll see that it's not unique to bald cypress or pond cypress that there are other trees that take on that shape. Hmm. And the other thing is, I I used to think, well, maybe it's when it gets to a certain point. Like how um, many, many, many uh, deciduous trees, what I call it bolting. It's like they, they form their excurrent branching and they form a, a triangle until they get to a certain level of maturity or height. And then they start to form a round crown because, yeah. b- right, branches bolt. Um, and I thought, well, maybe it's that they have to get to a certain height or a certain level of maturity. But I've seen swamps, especially uh, the pond cypress. Where they're only four feet tall. Yeah. But they got a flat top. Yep. So, I mean, that blows a hole in that theory. Yep. So I don't know. It's like, why did, why, the jury is, I mean, there's still a lot of argument about why, why they form knees. Yep. Yeah. And um, it's one of those things where, as far as I know, nobody has, has solved the riddle of what makes them form flat tops. It's one of the great, great questions. You know, why do 80% of the trees in North America turn, what, counterclockwise? Is that what Andy Smith did that? Is uh, that right? Yeah, I believe so. I think it was 80% were counterclockwise, what causes a tree to twist. You know, like all of these great unknowns about about all of the elements and and you can only ever have a hypothesis. And and you know what? I've got I've got um, a ponderosa pine that I got from um, Brent, uh, Randy Knight, mm-hmm. and it does in fact have a counterclockwise twist. Oh, if you go look at all the ponderosas at Mirai, yeah, they all turn counterclockwise. Wow, it it's freaky. To find a clockwise rotating ponderosa pine is very rare. So what if you went to the southern hemisphere? <laughs> Well, I mean, this is the question, right? This is the question, but, 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 but technically, it's opposite of what the toil of of what the water spins in the northern hemisphere, right? So it's like, okay, well, that's that's kind of out the door, and 
uh, I, yeah, I, I love this stuff. Wow. I think this is, I think this is the brilliant, uh, kind of brilliant, uh, components of the unknown. The fact that we don't get to know makes it even yeah. better. Yeah. Wow. What, how, how did you get into bonsai originally? I know that you were in this, in the symphony as a percussionist oh, not yet. in New Orleans. You no, were into bonsai I, I, prior to that. I was in, um, I was an undergrad. I was in Milwaukee. Um, Where did you grow up? Green Bay. Oh, so you're originally from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, wow. And Atlanta cold winters. And, um, well, anyway, I was in school. And um, Did you study music in school? After two years of psychology, I went into music. Gotcha. And then I, then I studied music. So, um, <laughs> psychology so, scared you away? So or? I was in school for eight years to get my master's. Uh-huh. Anyway, so... Um, uh, I, we, I, it was 1969 or 70 and in Milwaukee, they have, um, a big conservatory with three domes mm. and three huge glass domes with different environments. It's called Mitchell park conservatory. And one weekend, uh, my wife and I, um, went, uh, she wasn't my wife yet. Yeah, it was 69. Yeah. See what we just got married. We we went down there on a weekend to the Mitchell Park and they were having a bonsai show. And I don't know this because I never checked with anyone, but I it might have been their first show, I'm not sure. Oh. But anyway, we we went in and I saw these things and I <clears throat> I was just floored. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's like I couldn't believe it, you know. I was immediately attracted. And, um, and, uh, I went, I went back home, uh, on a weekend after that. And, uh, my folks had a cottage out along the shore of Green Bay and, 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 and basically a lot bought from a farmer and, and across the road was a cow pasture. And I, I pulled up some oak seedlings and I took them back to Milwaukee and I put them on the windowsill above the radiator in our apartment, you know, and it's like everything died, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then we moved out to Boston and then we went to the flower and garden show in, in Boston. I saw more bonsai, but we lived in a third floor apartment again mm. in Boston and couldn't do anything about it. And, so and it's I, just cold and ridiculous there anyways. Yeah. Sometimes take your breath away cold. Uh-huh. Uh, now, as cold as Wisconsin, though. Oh, okay. But anyway, um, so then uh, we I got my job in New Orleans, and we moved down to New Orleans, and we got a ground floor apartment with a little grass outside and a little patio. And so Christmas of 72, my wife got me a, a little juniper bonsai for Christmas. Cool. And, uh, and that, that was... And then January, we saw an ad in the newspaper for a bonsai club meeting and we went to the meeting and I think it was the second ever meeting of the greater New Orleans bonsai society. Wow. Yeah. January 73. So, wow. um, that was the start anyway. I'll be darned. Yeah. How'd you get hooked up with Vaughn Banting and that whole crew? Well, he and his wife started the club. Oh, okay. So he was like so, the, and did he study with John Naka? Was that how? Well, he, okay. How studying, did that all go? Studying back then was was how this worked. 
is that we we had a club uh-huh. and we'd invite guest artists to come in. And back in those days, they would come in for three to five days, and um, we'd have them do uh, the critiques and and workshops and and demos. And then what we called yard critiques, where they'd come to people's houses, and we'd have a smaller group than maybe three or four people, and mm-hmm. and and do, and uh, five days for bringing somebody was not uncommon, uh, but that was studying with. In, in other words, it was for a few sessions when when someone would would gotcha. come in. Chase Rosade, I think, was our first uh, first speaker. Legend and. Um, yeah, and and uh, so anyway, Vaughn had grown bonsai from as a child. His parents owned a nursery, mm. and he himself had a degree in horticulture, and he was the top horticulturist in in uh, New Orleans. At one point, he had twelve trucks, so he he was fairly big time gotcha. in the city, and what he would do is five days a week he'd run his crew, and then on the weekends. Sometimes he'd go out and do a job, special job for a special client or or a consultation job, and he'd ask me to help to come with him and help him. And and he was a natural teacher. I mean, every moment I was with him, he was he was talking and he was he was explaining and he was, uh, you know, and so it was just like a, a huge. Um, uh, education. Yeah. I guess uh, to be with it on the on the horticultural side, and then I was lucky enough when I went to Warehouser to take the uh, botany course for foresters that they they took, and then some additional work with the one of my friends at Warehouser uh, was a tree physiologist, and and mm. he and his buddy um, did a bunch of papers and and so on. So my education there was informal. Um, what a resource, though. But oh, that was huge <sighs> resource. That was gigantic resource. Yeah. Oh, how did? But but you know what? A resource I used a lot is I'm surprised you didn't mention them. The soil and plant labs right here in in uh, um, we used to send our stuff uh, to Portland. What? Soil and plant labs. Never even heard of it. Really? No. That's where we'd get our like. Uh, uh, are they CEC still? CEC and are they still here? I would assume. I don't know. I should uh, look them up. Solian Plant Labs in Portland. I've never heard anybody talk about it. The guy was it. really, really nice. I, the, the same guy was there for years uh, that I worked with. And, and I'll check uh, that out. Yeah. yeah I, know. I mean, um, the uh, call your. Um, I believe it's Collier Tree Cares Regional Manager is a member of the Bonsai Society of Portland, huh. and um, and they have their. Um, their lab that I've worked with and then Oregon States, uh, you know, with the nursery yeah. industry has a really significant pathology lab. And there is a place called Logan labs. Uh, well, I regionally don't, yeah, that, I don't know if they're still in business, I wonder. but I used them it for up. years. Soil and plant labs. Yeah. Um, but what was really handy is like, uh, if we suspected root rot or something like that, um, I could just go over to the tech center and they would have the plates available, and we would just cut up the the little root segments and put them in the plates, and and uh, and and you know the next two days later I could go there and and see what we had. So, so is root rot? And when you t- refer to root rot, are we talking Phytophthora pythium? 
What yes. You, what? Well, those are the water molds, but, okay. but there are other uh, root rots that are not water molds specifically. Okay. And, and is that something that you dealt with a lot in the collection up there? I did at first because we didn't have a... I experimented for years. Where we didn't have um, the soil components that we do now. Yeah. And we didn't have the knowledge that we do now. And I, w- I was using things like um, uh, drilling mud, which is like aquarium gravel, yeah. you know. And and I was using, um, I got into lava at some point, but I, I was trying out, uh, oh, I'd bark, fur bark, that we'd have to dry and sift and it was a horrible process. Mm. And um, uh, what's that stuff that's used for playing fields? Oh, um, turfus. And turfus, mm-hmm. and that was awful. It mm-hmm. was heavy and stayed wet forever. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, there was no, um, see, in New Orleans, what everybody used was a half and half mixture of haydite, which was expanded clay and pine bark. Hmm. They still use that. Yeah. And so my experience with soil was that, you know, and I got here and well, they didn't have any pine bark and there was no haydite. And so I, I, uh, fished around for for a long time, for years, you know, looking for something. But, you know, with the wet climate and the cool and the, uh, and then putting them in those enclosures over the winter with relatively dead air. Yeah. Um, d- didn't help. Mm-hmm. And the trees all around that kept it shady most of the day didn't help. In the wintertime, the sun would never get above the treetops. So there was, there was no sun. Jeez. <laughs> you know. And um, how did you, how did so, you rectify? I mean, soils obviously rectified it, but how do you treat? Uh, in the, and and I have a particular interest in this because um, we did a compost extract treatment, and specifically Juniperus occidentalis uh-huh. australis, the Sierras, but also occidentalis occidentalis, the Western junipers, really suffered over the course of the winter and the spring. I've never seen Mm. anything like it. Mm. And I've pulled a few of them out of their containers and they had dense, fine, highly ramified root systems that were 90% dead. And I've never seen that before in my life. Mm. And I have to believe that the compost, when you have compost, you take the good and the bad. Now, I didn't know this when we, I didn't know this when this whole thing started, right? Uh, but I have since learned that that's not really a, a recipe for success in a bonsai container. No. Okay. And so, so we did this whole experiment. We did a series of podcasts about this. And actually the gentleman that kind of catalyzed this information is going to come back and we're going to have a follow-up, which is basically mm-hmm. going to be sort of <laughs> the unveiling of how not to do this. Right. Uh, at least that's my, my angle that I'm approaching the conversation from having seen it. But I know that you've had to deal with stuff in a compromising situations up where you're at in yeah. the challenging environment. And I was curious, how do you rectify that issue? Did you did you have to treat with an alliette? We, we treat. We did treat. And what, what did you we, use? Well, alliette was, alliette. was one of them. Uh-huh. You know, the Chipko, the 3336F okay. was another one. The alliette is good for water mold. So that was alliette and subdue. Yeah, right. Were our two, and then we used the Chipko and oh something else that I can't remember mm-hmm. anymore, um, as drenches. Thirty three. So so you had to go through. I mean, when when we would talk, when I would come up and see you, and I was uh-huh. just new to the Pacific Northwest, and I was picking your brain about what you had to go through up there yeah. to maintain the collection. It was intense. Well, 
you know, I, I used to make this comment. I mean, it's, they're always trying to die. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's my main job is keeping from dying. This, you know, it's like, oh my god, and uh, and you know now it's you know we've got better soils yeah. and and it's it's much easier. Uh, we even had one time a, a bunch of trees show damage, and um, I had been getting what they call lava sand from Eastern Washington, which was it didn't have the big chunks. It was mm-hmm. just we had to sift out the fines, but it was basically usable sized grit you know and we had a lot of problems and i said was it red or black red son of a bitch i i've been replacing we had two years where we used a red lava source i don't Uh know i don't know where it came from this came from goldendale well maybe that's where this came from when i would when i've repotted trees out of it there hasn't been a single root on the bottom of the container ah and it's been an absolute nightmare well um, what happened is I, I was having trouble and I sent a soil sample down to, um, uh, soil and plant labs, mm-hmm. you know, and they analyzed it. They, they, they call it, a um, the agricultural suitability test and they look for the different elements that are in it. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, called me up and he said, it's looking kind of hot. He said, uh, send me your individual components. What's hot mean? Uh, Toxic. Okay. <laughs> Looking a little, little toxic. So, a little radioactive send, here. <laughs> so send me your individual components. So I, I sent him everything down. And he said, he came back and he said, well, your red lava has toxic amounts of boron in it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that, that kind of put me off lava, mm-hmm. you know. And then, and then I, I use pumice, and pumice is fabulous. Um, but it's white and it floats. Yep. And so that's what put me on to Kiryu. Uh-huh. So the, the color is nice and it, it's a, a little harder. A little harder and a little heavier. And a little heavier and yep. kind of stays put. And so now uh, I pretty much just use Akadama and Kiryu. Uh-huh. And um, by force of habit, and, and this is probably pertains to nothing, <laughs> I, st- I still out of habit for no good reason Throw in some charcoal. <laughs> there you go. So, I, hey, you, if your trees are healthy, why change it, right? Yeah, why change it? It's like, uh, I don't know why I do it. I just, <sighs> but anyway, um, I think it's basically the academic and the QDU that, yeah. that uh, and it's just like I'd be perfectly happy um, to have just pumice and, and, and um, academa. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think, th- I've always been. I think lava is good, especially if you don't have, you know, the problem that I had. Yep. I think it's a good thing. The, the reason that I went away from lava is that I got so tired of, of when I was repotting my shears going crunch, 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 yeah. and then having to resharpen my shears between trees. Cause I, and I, I worried that, and this is not, this is just a, a, a not based on nothing, based yep. on no science, but I worried about it's hard and and how abrasive is it i mean when i'm chopping this into the root system is this obviously more abrasive than pumice for and, sure and um just sifting it you immediately recognize that yeah and and so um it's i think it's a good component uh-huh. and and i think it has really good drainage characteristics um it has good water retention character i mean it has 
all the characteristics you want. It just that for me, I found this other product that I thought was just as good. Absolutely. Out, you know, a couple of the things that I didn't, you know. My, I, Michael Hagedorn spoke to the exact same considerations oh, and concerns really? that, that you've said. Yeah, and it's oh. it, it is interesting. I I I, I do f- I I really enjoy the black lava that we can go harvest ourselves from the oh, cascades. That's cool. It because yeah. there's some there is some degree of fascination that I have with the uh, tactile aspects of bonsai. Uh. You know, like um, I anneal all the wire at Mirai. Really? Yeah. Do you have a kiln? Uh, I have methods for annealing wire. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, I anneal yeah, all the, the wire. Metal at trash can full of newspaper. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I anneal the wire. If I could make my own tools, I would. There's oh, not enough time, I, yeah, and yeah. I'm not interested in in making the ceramics because I understand the dedication that that takes. But but still trying to find ways to have contact with the soil. Like yeah, I yeah. like I like sifting soil because yeah. you're aware of it. You know it. You see it. You touch it. Yeah. Bonsai is such a uh, tactile information filled endeavor, you know, like it's why, it's why, although I think you can mechanize a lot of, uh, aspects of life, I don't think you can mechanize bonsai and I don't think you should mechanize bonsai, <laughs> right? This is, this is my, there was an ongoing joke on Mirai live about a vibrating table to fill the oxygen spaces after repotting, you know, this, this, this proposition, and it just drove me crazy. It became a thing that we just we just had to discontinue the can discussion. You, can of you it. explain that to me? I, well, I, I think like instead of chopsticking, that there was a, a an idea, and this is an idea that's not new. It's not like somebody threw it out there and I'd never heard it before. You know, I mean, I've I've seen I've had students bring um, vibrating chopsticks, uh, like on a on an electric toothbrush before you know no and, and, and wow. people using vibrating sifting mechanisms as if you were gold panning or something like oh that right so there's all these wow. and then like okay well if you have these spaces and you set this tree with soil on it and you just had a vibration wouldn't it all settle into the spaces and then you don't have to chopstick and and for me you know like i just <laughs> I, I i it wore me out it wore me out <laughs> Because I think like, uh, and the same thing exists with like, um, I don't know if you've seen the, the 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 pressure washers to clean deadwood, the little mini pressure washers. Oh, I that come out of that. Japan. Oh. Okay, well, I'm good with a toothbrush and a spray bottle of water uh-huh. and a little bit of elbow grease to clean the <laughs> deadwood because I want to know that deadwood. You know, like I don't want a mechanized approach to bonsai. I just don't like it. Just the same way as you've got. I was looking at your trees out here, and and you that your deadwood. You've got fabulous natural deadwood on tr- those trees. And I feel like a lot of it comes from that, from scrubbing it, hand just scrubbing just it. hand scrubbing it with a very soft bristled brush, wow. and taking that time to be attentive and tactily understand wow. the nuance of the deadwood. It looks fabulous. Oh. Cool. I appreciate that. Look, that's a, that's really a that's a nuance fabulous. that I, yeah. I don't think of, but I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. No, I was looking. I, lo- I was looking at every tree. I was looking at the deadwood on every tree and saying, "Wow, this is a beautiful grain." Oh, uh, that's and, awesome. And and you could see that it wasn't being done with a with a um uh, uh what do they call steel brush? 
yeah, but not in steel brush with, with the uh, the sandblaster. Oh yeah, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, right. it was is evident that right. You, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. because it it would be quite easy to sandblast Deadwood. This is this yeah. is eff- this is very effortless. There's yeah. a sand. There's actually uh, uh, a sandblasting booth two blocks away uh, with a guy that has an automotive that uh, I talked to in 2010. Mister Kamura tore his sandblasting unit out while I was his apprentice. Really? Yeah, because he 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 had made the statement, and he had created a sandblasting cabinet that could virtually duplicate natural deadwood, except for that that unexplainable nuance of what is natural versus artificial uh, that you yeah. it, it's an intangible quality to it yeah right and uh and he said because he couldn't duplicate that he was he was done with it oh okay which i appreciated that yeah I, I thought that was really interesting anyways um so so that that notion of not trying to mechanize things and have that tactile aspect i like the fact in lava in my mind provides some some de- definitive benefits i think if you can get it uh, as you can mm-hmm. i mean i can't go out and get it right you know well you just have I, to drive I, a lot if, farther how's that well i yeah i have to drive across the mountains and way you know yeah but um i think if you can go out and get it and and secure it by yourself um i can see that i can see that you know yeah i um and and you know even the, at the at the collection, we had a, a one of our volunteers made us a thing that we could shake back and forth and and do like a whole sack at once. Yeah, you know, yeah, which is great. But me, I'm sitting there with my little round uh, <laughs> Roth uh, screen. You know, yeah, it's like oh, yeah, no, uh, I get it. Too lazy. Did did uh, and you and I have talked about sort of. When when you retired from the collection, how long how long did it take after you retired from the collection before you really reengaged with your bonsai? Because I'm seeing a level of your engagement with your trees now. It's it's been how many years since you retired? Six. Six. Yeah. Um, well, when it it took a little while because at, when I retired, I was just I think finishing up my book. Uh huh. And I don't know that, uh, yeah. And and I was really engaged in that. Mm-hmm. Now this was, this was not the first edition of it the was, book. It this was is, the the newer book, right? Where you were, had revamped it and added content to yeah, the yeah. original, right? Right, right. And um, so that was very consuming. And then um. Preparing for retirement, my wife and I had joined a, a, an arts organization in town that maintains the public art, and and so I was engaged in that. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have family with kids and grandkids who are nearby, and we had a we had our house wasn't we had bought a house just before I retired, a different house a retirement house kind of thing. And then r- right after retirement, we had a, a, a fire in our kitchen. Yeah, right. I and heard about and this. we moved out of our house for seven months while it was being repaired. So I guess what I'm trying to say to you is, that's right. I did not engage with my trees right away uh, after, uh, after retirement. And um, 
uh, I, you know, I used to go home once a day and, and, you know, uh, when the weather was warm and, uh, um, and, uh, you know, water them if needed mm-hmm. or, or kind of check them out. But it was a really low level of care. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't doing a lot with them. Mm-hmm. I was mostly, you know, with the contractor and, and well, I, I'm sure like this life for you has been here where you've been building almost constantly. Of course, I think you do a lot yourself too. I, it's the but, only way I, yeah, it's the yeah, only way I get This was done. so, I mean, we had insurance stuff and the contractor stuff and that, that, you know, so it was a big distraction. I mean, I, it, it was probably more than a year after I retired till I really kind of things settled down into a normal existence. And I, you know, mm-hmm. started looking at my trees again and they had been neglected at that point for, you know, a long, long time. Yeah. Even the trees, you know, at the, at the museum, the last couple of years, uh, I was, I was on the computer at my desk. I was, uh, uh, really, we were working to, to move the collection out of the company. Yeah. And that was, uh, an extremely, uh, consuming, uh, work, bit mm-hmm. of work. And, uh, um, so actually for the last five years, you know, I spent a lot of time, uh, uh doing reports and, and justifying the existence to a constant string of new managers who would come in. Right. <laughs> Everyone who came in had to, you know, so the, the, the last uh, couple of years in particular, um, the the demands and distractions um, at work meant that even the trees at the museum uh, suffered to some degree mm-hmm. um, as a result of I was just at my computer, you know, most of the time when I was at, at work instead of being out on the trees. Yeah. And... Uh, so luckily, that's all past me, and and thank God for Aaron, who I think is doing a marvelous job. Yeah, and I'm really pleased with the with the museum. I'm pleased with how everything looks. I'm pleased with how the trees look. He's made some great new acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Um, he's come up with some very cool um, exhibits, and um, and I think uh, that whole team has really gotten the public's attention. Yeah. And uh, so I, I can't say enough good about, you know, after I put 25 years of my life into it, I would have been really, really sort of crushed if it if it sort of, of devolved into obscurity or yeah. after that, you know. And yeah. so just the opposite has happened. You know, these guys have really... Um, really done a good job so it's like hooray that's cool yeah 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 that's got to be a wild relationship that you formed and i remember towards the tail end when you were saying i i I have to spend so much time on administrative duties it's just you know it's become harder and harder to get to the trees and that's uh honestly there's there's a lot of consistency with that at mirai you know as mirai as a company has grown it's like trying to to find those moments to be present with the trees is is a a 
is tough. Well, yeah, I can't believe what I'm seeing here. I mean, you have built this. I, it's, this is in, incredibly bigger and, and uh, yeah. m- more complex and and uh, than it than it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Careful what you ask for. Super achiever. Careful what you ask for. <laughs> Careful what you ask for. That's yeah, that's the moral great. of the story. So, well, it's uh, been uh, it's been super inspiring to see you back with your trees and to see yeah, your interpretations and stuff. And uh, and I'm super thrilled that you came down. It's really good to see. You. It's good to it's talk fun. to you. It's been a, been too long, yeah. and and uh, I'm just amazed at what I'm seeing here. And and thank you for inviting me. Appreciate that a lot. Absolutely, Dave. Yeah, uh, don't be a stranger. You're always <laughs> welcome. I'd love to have you come back. Thanks a lot. Yeah, very good. Appreciate it. Take care.